Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you all about it. The only podcast where Kyle watches Doctor Who and tells me all about it. And you, listeners, all get to listen as I tell Benny all about it. Yeah, he's really also telling you all about it, <laughs> listeners. I suppose. We're, we're doing it for you, listeners. This is all for you. We love you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. <laughs> you know, I think last time I checked our reviews on iTunes that there weren't any new ones, but we have had a few people like talk to us a little bit on Twitter and stuff recently. And so, yeah, that's cool, too. Thanks for all of that, people who follow us and talk to us on Twitter. Yeah, I mean... I know, I know. We we talk about reviews and encourage people to to tweet us and email us and stuff. But anytime anyone reaches out about anything, honestly, it's just so gratifying, and we're we're so excited to to get to share this like wacky adventure with <laughs> our beloved listeners. Um, so please feel free. I mean, even if you're like, oh, I don't know if this is like a clever statement or if this is going to be interesting to them or whatever but like if you just mention us in a tweet <laughs> it will be like you know so over the moon and uh -huh. we appreciate every, every time and I know this sounds desperate but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just love you that much and you know if you want us to like mention you on the pod then you know just like ask a cool question or something or, or or even a lame question or even a lame question we'll answer those two. our standards are low <laughs> i know not that, that, not that the question that we got before was lame but we will answer any question <laughs> i know you know of obviously we have a few of our fans that we know personally and then we've got a few more that we've picked up since then and i i know that the first names of several of our fans, but I don't know if people want to be called out on the pod or not. I guess first names are probably fine. So yeah, we'll just say shout out to uh, Danny and Natalie and Chris and Jeff and Ryan. And uh, that's all that's coming to mind at the moment. If I missed you, sorry. Shout out to you too. <laughs> well, Yes, absolutely. We, we love you. Insert your name here. You're actually our top favorite fan. <laughs> no, but for real, we, we appreciate all of you. Um, and uh, in whatever medium or format you, uh, you interacted with us or continue to do so, we were grateful for it. Also, if this is too much, and if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to shout out on the show just for sending these guys a tweet or something, you can just like say in your message, like, hey, just on the down low, I, I think you guys are doing an okay job, and we'll be like, thank you. And if you don't want a shout out, we won't give you a shout out. So Indeed. Yeah. Uh, we don't overwhelm anyone here <laughs> with our... I mean, it's only our undying gratitude. <laughs> so I don't see why it's such a big deal about that. But yeah, for real. 
we, we can also keep it on the DL. Just be like, be cool, you guys. Be mm-hmm. cool. And we'll be like, all right, yeah, we, we'll try. We can, <laughs> no we can try to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you've been listening to uh, 36 episodes of this podcast, then you know about how cool we are, but we can try to, you know, uh-huh. at least keep it on the DL. <laughs> <laughs> So episode 36, A mm-hmm. Desperate Venture. Mm-hmm. Do you recall, Benny, what our Cliff Dangler was from episode 35? Our Cliff Dangler was the title of episode 35, <laughs> which was Kidnap, um, which they really kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess we've already given them a hard time for that one. But yeah, it was <laughs> called Kidnap and like it, the kidnapping happens right at the end um so we've got all these like super convoluted uh wheelings and dealings with the uh sensorites and uh right at the end um one of the humans i think it was carol carol yeah gets gets kidnapped so of course it is one sash formerly known as city administrator and one sash's kind of assistant in evil, the engineer, they're the ones who've captured Carol. And they tell her to write a note to John saying that she's gone up to the spaceship. (laughs) She refuses at first, but he points out a few things to her. First, he points out how split the party is. And then he also points out that if she does write the note, he won't kill her. <laughs> he makes two good points. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, she writes the note at that point. One Sash explains to the engineer that she will guarantee the success of all my plans. Cool. It's all come together. Uh-huh. Barbara is on the planet now. And she and Susan and John are all looking at this note that Carol wrote. They know it's not true because if Carol had gone up to the ship, Barbara either would have seen her there or would have passed her on the way down. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a narrow corridor from outer space to to the land. Right. To the planet. Yeah, like you would be obviously bound to see any other ship. (laughs) So Barbara is like, Hey, you know, I've been on vacation for a bit. So like kind of approaching this with a fresh mind. And I think that maybe some sensorite is using us to try to gain power. Gasp. Around this time, the first elder arrives in the room and they all ask him, where Ian and the doctor are. And he's like, uh, they kind of asked me not to say. And Susan's just like, that's grandfather. She's not wrong. Uh huh. They show Carol's note to two sashes and he reads it. And he's like, I gave no such order. 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand why Carol would write something that's not true. And they're all like, uh, because somebody made her write it. Yeah, dude. Come on. After With your sashes. <laughs> Pr- prove that you're worth those sashes. Seriously. After hearing their concerns, he assures them that she's definitely not being held prisoner in the palace. And the only other building anywhere nearby is the disintegrator room. And that's not even used very much these days. <laughs> we hardly disintegrate people at all these days. <laughs> But, like, since they are obviously so worried about everything, he decides to go ahead and tell them that Ian and the doctor went to the aqueduct. But he assures them that they'll be safe because they've got lights and a good map and a couple of fucked up potato mashers. Yes, which our listeners will recall are actually fucked up potato non-mashers because they've been sabotaged. As well as the map having been also sabotaged. No, that's true, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like different different corridors and shit being drawn on it. We cut to Ian and the Doctor in the aqueduct, who have basically just figured out that they actually have fucked up potato non-mashers. The inside filament's been removed. These weapons are useless. Wow, I didn't realize they were such experts on... Fucked up potato mashing. <laughs> I guess that training session really covered a lot. <laughs> They've also figured out that their map is fucked up and they're completely lost. And not only that, but they didn't bring any food with them. And the only water available is the deadly nightshade water. Mm. Yeah, that's a predicament. Yeah. Uh, it would definitely call for a desperate venture. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the, the stagehand is eagerly holding the confetti ready to go. Uh-huh. Carol is being held captive by the engineer who doesn't care that she's hungry and thirsty. She's like, But I wrote the letter. And he's like, But surely you did not think you would be released. All human creatures are naive. They live while they have a purpose. As soon as that purpose is achieved, then their life has no value left. Whoa, buddy. Slow your roll. Yeah, he's getting pretty pretty extreme and radical. John sneaks into the room. He actually rolls pretty well on his stealth check, but... The engineer rolled even better on his perception check. So he notices John and he grabs like an electric cord with some big pluggy thing on the end of it and threatens to kill Carol with it. Oh, dang. Like, you know, if John comes any closer or whatever. And is this like a weapon that he's got or? Um, no, it's just like a, I think it, it actually is just like a power cord. With, you know, like a, a live live plug on the end, basically. Oh, okay. While he's focused on John, though, Carol kind of lunges and grabs the cord itself and pulls it. And, like, basically pulls the other end of it out of 
the disintegrator machine that it's plugged into. Nice. And the disintegrator machine starts smoking. Okay. Potentially troubling. (laughs) And then at this point, the first warrior enters the room and he basically just arrests the engineer and like takes him off to see the first elder. So the uh, the first warrior seemed to be sort of part of the um, the now second elder's plot, but I guess he was just sort of a a stooge. Yeah, I think he was an unknowing pawn in the plot. Mm-hmm. We cut to a bit later after the first elder has learned about what's happened with the engineer and Carol and John, and. He's like, man, that's pretty fucked up. We'd better punish the engineer and also figure out who his accomplice is. The second elder reaches up to do that thing where you kind of like tug nervously on your collar. Yes. But then he remembers remembers he doesn't have a collar. uh He remembers that he doesn't have a collar anymore because he's not city administrator anymore. So he kind of like tugs nervously on his one sash instead. And he's like, Mm. So you believe that another sensorite is working with him? And two sashes is like... Obviously. He had to guard the girl Carol. Who then delivered the letter she was forced to write? Oh no. This guy's too smart. (laughs) Too smart to be allowed to live. Barbara and Susan show up in the room at this point. They've apparently been questioning the engineer. Which causes one sash to tug on his sash even more nervously and uncomfortably as he asks, Has he identified his accomplice? <laughs> giant beads of sweat are forming <laughs> on his big old sensorite forehead. Uh-huh. Rolling down into his weird sensorite beard. Mm. Turns out the engineer has not identified his accomplice. Not yet. Not yet. But he did reveal that the map and the fucked up potato mashers that Ian and the Doctor have are all bad. First Elder thinks that that's pretty fucked up, and he says that the engineer will die for this. Wow, dang. Yeah, I guess they've got pretty severe punishments on the sense sense sphere. Yeah. Susan asks about Ian and the Doctor, and... Two sashes is like, yeah, basically they're fucked. But Barbara, person of action, is like, I'm afraid that answer isn't good enough. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So she gets two sashes to agree to help her and Susan if they come up with a plan. And in the meantime, he can get them a good map of the aqueduct. One sash is like, I am suspicious of these creatures, sir. They ask too much. Man, they want, like, a real map? <laughs> that's that's just, you know, unreasonable. Uh-huh, seriously. Two Sashes is just like, fuck off. The doctor's risking his life trying to help us. I'm gonna help yeah, them. Yeah, doctor's... He's awesome. Shut your mouth. Meanwhile, back in the aqueduct, Ian sees some movement in the distance. So he's got, you know, their bad map, which he kind of like rolls up into a tube of paper, kind of like if you're going to like 
roll up like a newspaper or a magazine or whatever to hit someone with. Hmm. And he just kind of like holds this rolled up tube of paper out in front of him as he slowly advances until something grabs it. And Ian starts grappling with what appears to be a scraggly dude. Hmm. It's hard to say for sure because we only see the attacker from the back, but they do have lots of scraggly hair and they're wearing what seems to be a flight suit. Hmm. Could it be those astronauts that were uh, left behind? So I realized at this point, as I was taking my notes, that I have been a bit remiss and I have not described the uniforms that Carol and John and Maitland all wear. And why would that be significant, Kyle? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they all have these button-down shirts on and then they've got this, like, blazer-style jacket over their shirts and their blazers have these cool rocket patches, basically where the breast pockets go. Cool. And, yeah, whatever Ian is grappling with breaks free and runs off and Ian confirms that it was a human and what's more in the struggle Ian came away with one of these rocket patches (laughs) I mean how many times have you grappled with somebody and accidentally torn off an identifying patch from their uniform (laughs) yeah I mean it it seems to happen pretty commonly in grappling grappling type (laughs) situations It's just one of those things you have to be ready for. Uh Of course, the doctor puts things together and he figures out that it must be one of the humans from the exploded spaceship. Remember the humans that were previously on the planet? Some of them tried to leave. The ones who are all about that sweet, sweet molybdenum. Right. And yeah, so Ian wonders like, why they're hiding in the aqueduct and poisoning all the water. So the doctor's just like, just go and ask him. Good plan. Back in the palace, Barbara and Susan are examining not actually a map of the aqueduct, but a scale model, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Is it like all 3D and painted with little miniatures? Oh, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't tell the paint scheme because we're still in the black and white era. <laughs> but fine. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely like you know several feet wide and a few inches tall. Nice little pipes and tubes and shit. It was pretty neat. Cool. I'm I'm really into this. I'm gonna have to Google that when the episode's over. Barbara asks if she can use a brain stethoscope and the first elder is just like, uh, yeah, I guess the plan is for Barbara and John to go to the aqueduct while Susan stays behind at the model of the aqueduct. And then if Barbara has a brain stethoscope she and Susan can communicate telepathically and Susan can like direct them. Wow, it's uh, like a much more complicated cell phone. <laughs> Basically, era, yeah. You know, decades away from cell phones. 
I thought it was actually a pretty clever plan. I mean, I'm surprised that they just assume that they can use the brain stethoscopes. Yeah. Well, they they but, do like try it out before before Barbara Barbara leaves, and she is a history teacher, so uh-huh. yeah, she gets the brain stethoscope and you know kind of puts it up to her forehead, and then we hear the telepathy noises, and then a moment later, Susan says, "The entrance to the aqueduct is there," and Barbara's like, "It works." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's pretty cool. Uh huh. And I thought it was a clever little bit of writing that, you know, we don't know the specific phrase that she sent to Susan. It must have been, you know, something like point to the entrance of the aqueduct or whatever. But mm-hmm. but we didn't get to hear that. We just got to see Susan's, you know, what Susan does and then Barbara confirming that it worked. Yes. It's a, it's a good way to prove that they're communicating telepathically. <laughs> After Barbara leaves... Susan starts asking the first elder why he's so trusting of all the other censorites. She's like, Well, trust can't be taken for granted. It must be earned. I trust you, but only because I know you. He says, But Susan, our whole life is based on trust. She's just like, Yeah, that's what's going to fuck you in the end. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. (laughs) He says, when I listen to you, you who are so young among your own kind, I realize that we sensorites have a lot to learn from the people of Earth. Like not being too trusting. Susan gets a wistful look in her eye at this point, and she says, your Grandfather and I don't come from Earth. Oh, it's ages since we've seen our planet. It's quite like Earth. But at night the sky is a burnt orange. And the leaves on the trees are bright silver. Awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That's a very evocative image there. Also, yeah, a good reminder for all of us that they're not from Earth and eventually not even human. Right. Yeah, I suppose at this point they could plausibly still be human. We don't know that. But it is confirmed canonically that they are not from Earth. Yeah, silver leaves on the trees, sky burnt orange, thumbs up. Great. Yeah. Great imagery. The first elder can sense that Susan wants to go home, but also that she has this wanderlust. And she's like, Yes. Well, we'll all go home someday. That's if you'll let us. And he says that he thinks he will. Oh, good. Hello, this is Dalek Kyle. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. Back in the aqueduct, Ian is worried that he and the doctor have been going in circles. But the doctor assures him that they haven't, because he has been marking the pipes with chalk as they go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ian comments on, like, 
how cheerful the doctor seems. And as the doctor explains how happy he is to be sciencing, Ian sees this scraggly dude with a big pointy stick. He tries to tell the doctor, who's just like, Oh, don't interrupt your boy, it's most irritating. (laughs) Oh, I love the doctor. (laughs) But then, of course, the doctor sees another scraggly dude with a big pointy stick. So He goes, holy shit, a scraggly dude with a big pointy stick. Why didn't you say something, my boy? (laughs) He actually did say something along those lines, and Ian's like, I tried to fucking tell you, dude. (laughs) They realize that they're surrounded. You know, they're in a pretty narrow corridor. There's a dude with a big pointy stick on both sides. And the two scraggly dudes, you know, start talking to them and seem very concerned about the possibility of there being sensorites, asking if the sensorites are all dead. But Ian and the doctor don't answer this. The scraggly dude asks if they have a spaceship, and the doctor tells them that they do, and that they had come looking for them. Hmm, an interesting, uh, interesting direction that the doctor's taking this yeah yeah i wasn't quite sure where he was going with it but the two scraggly dudes decide to take them to talk to the commander there's apparently a third scraggly dude so the scraggliest dude (laughs) so yeah they lead ian and the doctor off deeper into the aqueduct meanwhile barbara and john have arrived at the entrance to the aqueduct and Barbara and Susan start communicating telepathically but Susan is having a hard time hearing Barbara so Carol makes a suggestion Susan tells Barbara Barbara speak the words as you think them Yes, it'll help our audience. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was really clever. Set the camera. (laughs) Has the side effect that now we, the home viewers, can also follow the conversation. Yes, how convenient. Barbara and John make their way through the aqueduct, being, you know, directed by Susan, turn here and turn there and whatnot. They eventually find one of the doctor's chalk marks on the wall, which leads to a new plan. We're going to try and follow these marks, Susan. So instead of you directing us, we'll tell you what route we're going to take. And let's rub the chalk out as we pass it so that we'll know (laughs) which ones we've already uh, passed. Uh Elsewhere in the tunnels, we are shown that as Ian, Ian and the doctor are being led to the commander, the doctor is continuing to make his chalk marks on the wall. And Ian's like, I'm glad you're on my side, Doctor. Because <laughs> the power of the chalk is with you. <laughs> the four of them, the Doctor, Ian, and the two scraggly dudes, arrive at, like, the base, deep in the aqueduct. And they meet the commander, who is indeed a third scraggly dude. But is he scragglier than the rest? He's a bit scragglier, yeah. 
Okay. They're, it's very important for yeah. me to know his level of scraggliness. He says... Well, this is the best news I've had for a long time. I'm very glad to see you both. Did you have a rough journey? Yes, of course. I'm sure you must have done. Let's have something to sit down on, number one. Yes. Make it so. It does not act like a scraggly dude. The doctor and Ian just kind of like look at each other skeptically. Maybe scraggliness is in your frame of mind. <laughs> the commander apologizes to them for the roughness of the quarters. And he assigns number two to ammunition detail, telling him to load it into pipe number seven this time. Hmm. Oh, is that going to be the water that they're poisoning? I think so, yeah. It's all coming together. The doctor just cuts straight to the chase. He's like, We have a surprise for you. The war with the sensorites is over. Commander's like, Oh, really? Did we win? And Ian's like, yes. yep, we get their asses. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the commander tells them about how he lost his ship when a couple of his men deserted. Pretended they had to go back to Earth to get reinforcements. So he had to blow the ship up. Well. But he's not too concerned about that. I suppose I'll get another one. I'll be able to afford it now. And it's very rich, you know. Oh, yes. Molybdenum. Hmm. This is a... Uh... Quite a, quite, a, quite a guy here. Uh-huh. But, of course, when he says this, he finds out that Ian and the Doctor already know all about the molybdenum, and he immediately gets super sus. He's all like, Hey, this war was fought by me and my men, so we get all the fucking spoils. Ian and the Doctor are just like, Yeah, whatever, like, chill, dude. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, you can have all the molybdenum mm -hmm. right, right after you uh, stop poisoning people, please. But then, like, number one, you know, one of the scraggly dudes reports a warning in one of the tunnels. With this warning, everyone instantly gets, like, way more sus of Ian and the Doctor, thinking that, like, maybe the war's not actually over, Maybe they were sent as Spicerites. <laughs> but then, like, Barbara and John show up in the room. And the doctor, you know, doing a quick bit of improv, says, I'm afraid you've misjudged us, sir. These people are part of the committee. Here to welcome you. We all came down here to take you out again to the surface. <laughs> and also, it's your birthday. <laughs> Ian adds, To celebrate your success, sir. Barbara's just like, uh, WTF? And Ian's like, just be cool. <laughs> just pretend. <laughs> they tell the scraggly dudes that Barbara is their navigator. She's going to, like, lead them out. And that it's time that everyone gets out into the sunshine to celebrate. And it seems like the commander bought it. I think... For me? Will Ian... there be a parade? <laughs> you know, I think Ian and the doctor both rolled, like, pretty low deception checks. But apparently they were good enough. Seemed to be. Well, the, this, dude, this dude is just uh, kind of all min-max toward molybdenum. Yeah. 
Yeah, he did not have a good save. So, you know, he gathers up his two men and prepares to leave. Outside the aqueduct, the first warrior is waiting with a Censorite guard. And the first warrior tells the guard to go wait, like, off to the side. And then when everybody is out of the aqueduct, block the entrance to not let them go back in. Meanwhile, the first warrior is just going to stand, like, right out front facing the entrance. And so they get into position. A moment later, the two scraggly dudes come out followed by Ian and Barbara and John. And the scraggly dudes see the first warrior holding up his fucked up potato masher. And they just kind of like freeze in place. And the first warrior says, It is useless to resist. Resistance is useless. The two scraggly dudes just kind of like slump their shoulders in agreement, apparently. And So when they froze, do you think they were being paralyzed with these potato masher beams, or were they just like, whoa, kind of caught off guard? No, it was the second. They were just caught off guard. Okay, okay, okay. And, yeah, they kind of slump their shoulders and just, like, drop their pointy sticks to the ground. Yes, uh, I imagine pointy sticks really don't work so well against beam guns. Yeah. Ian and Barbara like lead them off. And just a moment later, the doctor and the commander both exit the aqueduct and the sensorite guard steps into place, blocking the entrance like he's supposed to. And the commander realizes what's going on, shouts, Treachery! And he runs toward (laughs) drama. (laughs) He runs toward the first warrior and we hear a sound. Presumably from the fucked up potato masher. Yeah, I think his potatoes just got mashed. (laughs) He just like drops to the ground and the first warrior says, I could have killed him. I wanted to. But that would not be the way, would it? No. He could have destroyed the entire Sensorite nation. Doctor's like, Yes, but the fact is you didn't kill him. Shows great promise for the future of your people. Hmm, that's uh, that's very uh, patronizing there, Doctor. (laughs) But he is the Doctor. Back in the palace, we learn that Maitland has agreed to return all of the astronauts to Earth, even the scraggly ones. Earth could always use more scraggliness. The first elder explains that the scraggly dudes, like, must have opened their minds at some point and been unable to close them. That's why they were so irrational. Apparently, That's why they're so scraggly. Yeah, same kind of thing that happened to John. I guess he was, you know, going to get scraggly if it went on too long. <laughs> he was slowly scragglifying. <laughs> the first elder has also decided to banish one sash to the outer wastes for his treachery. Oh, dang, the outer wastes. That does not sound fun. 
Yeah, it might even be better to just like get killed. I mean, it depends on how 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 wastely those outer wastes are. Yeah, that's true. How wasted? Wasteful? <laughs> if they're just like throwing plastic wrappers everywhere and you know drinking like three sips of their soda can before just like tossing it aside and okay yeah and that's like actually starting to stress me out (laughs) (laughs) and the first elder also informs them that the tardis lock has already been reinstalled in the tardis door that's handy everything's all good and you know they've completed the quest and it's time to go now nice susan and the doctor are back on the tardis now and they're waiting for ian and barbara to show up wow we are we are really just uh wrapping up this episode fast now huh? <laughs> susan's a little bit sad because it turns out she won't be able to use her telepathic abilities anymore when they're away from the sense sphere. Oh, dang. I was really hoping that would become like her new thing. Yeah. You know, other than just constantly having to be rescued from things or or screaming when something scary happens. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was apparently due to the extraordinary number of ultra high frequencies on the sense sphere. Oh, well, Guess you can't have ultra high frequencies everywhere we go. <laughs> the doctor is like, Oh, I don't know. It's rather relief, I think. After all, no one likes an eavesdropper about, do they? Oh, I think you obviously have a gift in that direction. And when we get home to our own place, I think we should try and perfect it. Hmm? Okay, cool. I yeah, wow. He 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 recognizes that she she has something special and that he he's gonna help her, kind of. Yeah, work on it. That's, yeah, he's gonna support her in that. That's cool. Like figure out how to like really use it properly and stuff. Yeah, I honestly I didn't expect that. Good, good for you, doctor. She wonders like when they might get home, and he's like, "I don't know, my dear. This old ship of mine seems to be an aimless thing. However, we don't worry about it, do we? Do you?" He looks into the camera. Audience, do you? <laughs> Susan answers. Sometimes I feel I'd like to belong somewhere. Not just be a wanderer. Still, I'm not unhappy. Good, good. Aw. Also, when he, when the doctor's like, oh, this ship of mine seems to wander, and I'm like, that's a nice way of saying you don't know how to actually drive this ship of yours. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what he was saying. Barbara and Ian show up about this point and the doctor makes some quip about how he nearly left without them. They took so long and they decide to watch Maitland's ship fly off on the TARDIS's scanner. And And Ian says, are like, fine. Okay. I guess (laughs) as they watch the ship fly off, Ian says, well, at least they know where they're going. Doctor Immediately takes offense at this. Implying I don't? I didn't mean anything. So you think I'm an incompetent old fool, do you? No, doctor. <laughs> well, I think the fact that he, like, immediately went there and his assumption uh, says <laughs> something. Uh-huh. 
Ian, of course, insists that like he didn't mean anything by it. Mm-hmm. But the doctor is like, I never since you are so dissatisfied, my boy, you can get off the ship. And the very next place we stop, I shall take you off myself. And that is quite final. And with that, the titles next episode, A Land of Fear, appear on screen. Okay, promising and extremely vague, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if we've talked. To, I don't think we've talked about this before, but I think I remember hearing once. I don't know if it's true that on these early episodes of Doctor Who, sometimes you would have these very vague titles um, for the next episode, and it was when they didn't know what would come next, and so they just <laughs> like you know came up with something that could be anything, and then uh-huh. they would make it up as they went along. That certainly seems plausible. Yeah. What is it? What the, the what of fear? Land of Fear. Land of Fear, yeah, that could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, especially with the Doctor's threat or promise that he's going to dump Ian at the next place. Yeah, he went from, like, oh, we're all friends and we're all, you know, on this adventure together to, like, nope, that's it, you're gone, and I'm just going to dump you in some potentially dangerous, hostile, hazardous location, first chance I get. Uh-huh. Just because you said something that I took offense to and it hurt my feeling. I mean, that does track with the Doctor's character. Yeah, unfortunately it really so does. Yeah. Um, so I assume from context that this is the last episode of the serial. It is indeed. We have finished the Censorites. All right, Kyle. Well, in that case, I have to ask you... Um, would you recommend this serial to our beloved listeners? So, several episodes ago, we talked at the start of this serial about how it was Peter R. Newman's final on-screen writing credit, and yes. that he spent the last ten years of his life suffering from severe writer's block. Mm-hmm. And we wondered at the time if it was because he couldn't possibly top the story that he'd written or this masterpiece right or if this story was a harbinger of what was to come yes <laughs> ultimately i think this serial is a fantastic example of classic doctor who it's got weird aliens it's got a relatively complex plot line but still written for children to follow it it's got some interesting things to say about like blind and undeserved trust the aliens don't make a single bit of evolutionary sense if you think about them for a minute (laughs) Mm -hmm. so great doctor who it does have some shittiness there's like all the stuff about susan being treated like a child Mm -hmm. doctor like ordering barbara to do what he says Mm -hmm. but honestly it was not really permeated with much of a layer of xenophobia or racism, so that was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's always nice when it, they they don't check all the boxes. Uh huh. Susan does like make fun of how the censorites run, but we also had censorites talking about how ugly the humans are. So I think it kind of balances out. Uh, sure, maybe. <laughs> Overall, I think 
that Peter R. Newman wrote something that he was right to be proud of. And if you're looking for a goofy early Doctor Who serial, this is definitely a fun one. Like most of these early early serials, I think it could probably be trimmed down and sped up a bit, but that's just kind of the style of the time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I think this might be one that I, I check out eventually. Um, you know, probably when the uh, this whole quarantine lifts, if we ever get there someday, then maybe we should celebrate by either you come here or I go there and we watch some classic Doctor Who I mean, maybe we don't watch like the whole serial, but maybe just like one episode or two from each of the serials that were worth checking out. I think that is a fantastic plan. I still want to watch the one with the uh, the laboratory. Yeah. Um, the, the from the keys of Marinus when they uh, they have the laboratory with everything in it, <laughs> <laughs> every conceivable uh, instrument. Oh, I still love that. Um, but yeah, these sensorites are. I agree. They seem like good classic Doctor Who cheesy sci-fi monsters, or I should say, aliens. Um, and the the plot with the the sashes and the um, yeah the, the the changing costumes and yeah that that all was just intriguing enough, I think, to keep kids interested without being too convoluted where they couldn't follow along anymore so hopefully hopefully the the kids back in the 60s those little kids watching the bbc um enjoyed it and uh hopefully they stick around for a while longer so that we can still have more doctor who to watch there was a quote i read once i want to say it was Douglas Adams who said it, but I'm not positive. So hopefully this is not apocryphal, but he said something along the lines of doctor who needs to be complex enough for the children to be engaged, but simple enough for their parents to follow it. Yes. I like that. Yeah. I think this, this serial hits that perfectly. Yes. (laughs) All right, well, on to the next one then. Yeah, tune in in two weeks to see Ian get left behind in the land of fear. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com, or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Molybdenum. Oh. 
You know about that, do you? You do realize that this war has been fought by me and my men here? Any treasure trove is ours. That's quite understandable, isn't it, Question? And I'm prepared to back that statement up with force, if necessary. I have good supplies here. Loyal men. Well, of course. We are just discussing this. But you are alone, aren't you? Hardly in a position to fight me. And I have my men and my organization.